Hi, and welcome to the Seven Elements of Wellness podcast. I'm Trish DeMarcus. And I'm Lacey Wall, aka L-Dub. And we are the creators of the Seven Elements of Wellness lifestyle routine, dedicated to helping you feel good more than you don't. The Seven Elements of Wellness are spiritual, mental, emotional, relational, nutritional, physical, and financial. And what we found is that we're all living these elements. It's how much attention are we giving each one? Because where your attention goes, your energy flows. When you combine them all and they flow together, it's powerful. This really is a personal development program combined with an overall wellness program. We've had amazing feedback from the community and people are shedding weight. They are repairing their relationships, overcoming anxiety. It's helping with depression. It's a journey of self-love, a foundation to help you be the best version of yourself. Just be. And that's what this podcast really is about. We are dedicated to bringing you the best of the best in each of their elements. So whether you're on the beginning of your wellness journey or you're a seasoned biohacker, we can promise you that you're going to find value in each and every episode. Let's go. Let's see how many days in a row we can flow. Hello, everyone. I'm Courtney Stoll, and today we are focusing on the spiritual element. And today for the spiritual element, we have on the podcast Angel Lynn, who is a life coach. She's a public speaker and author, and all encompassing that, she is a soul mentor. She puts her focus on teaching principles of self-awareness and emotional intelligence, providing guidance in areas of individual health and wellness, marital relationships, and parenting. She operates from a paradigm of spirituality and consciousness, and you're going to see that throughout this interview. She touches upon that over and over. She is a homeschooling mom of five sons, and she's passionate about continued learning and expansion. She is a co-author in a recently released book titled Collaboration with the Divine, and she's currently writing her own memoir, self-help book titled Cellular Evolution, A Mormon Woman's Transcendent Journey to Love. Cannot wait for that one. (laughs) Angel hosts quarterly women's retreats, couples retreats, in-person groups, and Zoom groups, teaching the principles of personal evolution that have led her to discover light, truth, love, joy, peace, and freedom. And yes, you can find her online and connect with her online to be able to receive all of these services and be part of these groups that we are talking about and that she is going to talk about in this interview. I just want to tell you, this is going to change your perspective on spirituality. It is so powerful. You may want to come back and listen to it again and then maybe come back and listen to it again and share it with others. There are so many people that are struggling right now spiritually. So many people going through spiritual awakenings, faith transitions. This is such an amazing next 30 minutes that is truly going to inspire you. Also, make sure you listen all the way to the end because she ends with a very brief meditation that we can do every single day that will truly help you on your journey to self-love. So let's jump into this interview with Angel Lynn. Hello, Angel. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. It's a real privilege to be here. For starters, I'm wondering if you can just share with us your story and your background, your journey, and how did you get to where you are today? Thank you. I would love to share that piece. Really, one of the most impactful and pivotal parts of my life has been 
understanding the distinction between religiosity and spirituality. So I was raised in Southern Utah in a very religious family, Christian, very active. Every Sunday was church attendance and throughout the week, church activities. My entire identity was tied to being a member of this particular church. And I lived that to its fullest. I did all the things, which included being a part of seminary council when I was in high school, attending girls camp, being a leader, then serving a mission for that church for 18 months. Following my college graduation, I had the opportunity to be married and had five sons born in eight years and chose to be a stay-at-home homeschooling mom, continuing to operate with a total central focus on religiosity. And I thought at the time that I was a spiritual person, I thought that those were synonymous. And it really wasn't until I was 38 and I had a spiritual existential crisis. That's what they would call it in psychology. And my background's in social work. I received a master's degree in social work early on before having children. And I started my career in therapy, which is just so ironic because all of what I learned through church and through my educational background really came to a head when I was 38 years old. And I got a phone call that there was a warrant out for my husband's arrest. And an existential crisis is a moment where everything that you have founded your life and identity on suddenly is not true anymore, or it appears to not be true. I remember feeling like something had shattered and my life resembled a mirror that was just shattered on the ground and there were pieces of my life all before me and I did not know what to do next. Here was a person that I had been married to for 14 years. We served in the church. He was a clergyman. Our future of being a forever family was all wrapped around these beliefs and in one instant it was shown to me that our life was a lie, that there was a lot of hidden information. I didn't even know who he was but it was a catalyst to the most amazing opening, awakening of my entire life. In that moment, I walked into my bedroom and I looked at the bookshelf. That was where I went for resources. It was full of church books, uh, scriptures, all kinds of manuals. And I remember this moment, I paused and I thought, I'm pretty familiar with this content and I can't recall one chapter or verse that says what to do when there's a warrant out for your husband's arrest. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, instead of going to pick up my scriptures to read, ponder, and pray, I literally walked into my closet where there were no resources. There was nothing outside of me telling me, here's what you should do, here's what you have to do. And instead, I really just said, God, if there is a God, I don't even know what I'm talking to in this moment. But whatever there is that's bigger than me, I need your help. What do I do next? And the thought that entered my mind was, put chicken in the crock pot. (laughs) That is not the lightning bolt of miracle that I expected, anticipated, or thought I was even going to. But what I discovered was, I have been asking God questions for 38 years and deflecting and rejecting the answers that come first because they're random and radical, and they don't fit what I think I'm looking for. So in that moment, I chose to follow that answer. I went to the kitchen and I started to put chicken in the crock pot. And in doing so, looked over and remembered, I've got five sons and they're going to need to eat in a few hours. This is brilliant. Dinner will be ready. 
I didn't realize how profound that was, that the voice talking to me was helping me function when I was in a state of shock. Having just received that news, I couldn't think of the simple, small details. And I decided, hey, that worked out really well. I'm just going to keep living that way. And since 2016, I have faced every day asking God, Spirit, Source, the creation energy, what would you have me do? And where do I go that I can accomplish the what? And everything in my life began to open up and change. The answers that come every time I ask what are directly opposite of what my mind, that I call my ego, would expect. So little by little, I went separating my entire ego identity. I call myself a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee, which is a biblical term for the people that judged and ridiculed Jesus Christ. I, I was unknowingly living in a religious ego, and it began to separate and become very easy to distinguish when I was in my pharisaical mind of thinking versus when I was really listening to the answers from my questions. And I just continue to live my life that way, following the answers that come to me when I ask those questions. What would you have me do? And where would you have me go? Wow, that is so powerful. And I know I can relate to a lot of that. I think many people can relate to growing up in that religious box and not knowing any different and considering that this is spirituality. But like you said, not having that guidance, that connection. I love the crockpot story. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And that's so powerful, right? Mm -hmm. That is what you needed in that moment and that you asked and you received. Yes. I was religious and I practiced rituals Mm-hmm. That's what I was doing before. And to me now, spirituality is a coming home to myself. First and foremost, I had to trust me. Mm-hmm. I had to trust that I was capable and worthy to speak to God, the creator. That was funny to me to discover that I didn't believe that before, that when I was getting answers to prayers and rejecting them, I was not trusting myself. I thought I had to go outward to go upward. This is a phrase I use often to explain. I had spent my 38 years of life looking to other people, outward sources, for you to tell me who God is, to define God and what God wants of me. Okay, I'll do it. All I wanted to do was please that God, but I was constantly going outside of myself for someone else to tell me how to get to God. And in that moment, when I asked that source question, I don't even know who or what I'm talking to, but I need your help. That was the first time I went inward and upward. Does that make sense? I went inward to like, I can trust me to communicate directly to this source. And now I seek every day to go inward and upward and let go of any fear around how the answers that come to me might look different or be judged by those people outside of me. I've just let that go. And through that process, recognized part of my pharisaical identity was that I placed others' opinions, judgments, and expectations of me above God. I had idols that I was worshiping, one of which was my reputation, one Mm -hmm. of which was my acceptance of others, my belonging to a crowd. And that was a huge epiphany to me because I thought I was a believer. I thought I followed God. And when I realized, no, I actually worship my reputation, it was very humbling and liberating at the same time. Yeah. Well, let's expand on that a little bit because this is the spiritual element. So at the seven elements of wellness, we have the seven different areas of health, right? And so this is the first one, spirituality. And 
I think a lot of people have different ideas about what spirituality looks like. And so you've been through, obviously, a very powerful spiritual journey. But I just want to keep it really simple for a minute and just ask you, what in your mind is spirituality? So if you were just to define spirituality as a universal definition that we can grasp onto, what would you say? I would describe spirituality as oneness with all creation, which comes through stillness. So first step is to become one with yourself, aligning your mind, body, heart, and spirit to the same frequency. Just as sound and light has frequencies, our bodies, our mind, body, heart, and spirit operate on frequencies, and often those frequencies are really messy like strings on an instrument, like a violin or a guitar, each string can hold its own frequency or tune. And when they're out of tune, it sounds horrible. I've learned to tune my instrument, mind, body, heart, and spirit, each one of my strings to the same frequency, which is love, light, truth. It's the same frequency in my experience. And so I calibrate myself daily through meditation, which is the funny thing. I had heard it from many gurus, mentors, teachers, therapists, meditate, meditate. And I pushed it aside. Don't give me that hippy dippy baloney stuff. <laughs> I don't want any of that Eastern philosophy. I was very judgmental and ignorant until my awakening. And in my awakening, I just quit judging what was showing up in my life and decided to trust that if I was being shown or invited into something, maybe it was the answer I was asking God for. So rather than reject it because it was different or weird or outside of my box, that religious box, I decided to try it. And meditation was such a leap, a shift for me because it's stillness and all I knew how to do was be busy. I had lived my life being so busy, so scheduled, so overwhelmed in an effort to prove and earn my worth and value. I call it my stairway to heaven or my modern day Tower of Babel. I was trying to prove to God that I was enough by all that I was doing righteously. So when my mentors started to teach me to meditate, it was difficult. And I thought there was a right way to meditate. So one of the things I would like to share with listeners is what if there's no right, wrong, good or bad when it comes to meditating? It is an experience and it's a practice and you get to find what works best for you. If you're a busy person like me who tries to be still and notices that your mind runs away with thinking, your grocery list, how much weight you need to lose, what you're going to cook for dinner, one of the best things that I discovered was guided meditations. I didn't know that there are recorded guided meditations prior to asking my mentors for help. And when they gave me those links, I found that I could sit still and just breathe. I could listen to a voice that would guide me through a visualization. And at the end of that short time, it doesn't have to be lengthy. It could be one minute to five minutes. I noticed a shift in my mind, body, heart, and spirit. They all became still and aligned on the same frequency. And I could sit in peace and clarity. And that is the perfect place to be to source all answers from within. Any answer, decision, need that you have in your life, if you will source it from within, going inward and upward, allowing meditation to be the vehicle, you will find the right answer for you. And it simplifies your life because when we spend so much time going outward and upward, 
Many of us are going from one book to the next, one class, one webinar, one coach, one therapist. We're just constantly trying to find answers to solve our problems and looking back and going, I've spent a lot of money trying to fix this area of my life and it still hasn't changed. And all of that is different now for me by going inward and upward using meditation. I find the right answer for me in this moment. And it will look different from what other people need to do in their lives. And trusting that has helped me expand and receive my worth. Through trusting myself, I have come home to know my worth. And that's one of the things that most people struggle with tremendously is their own self-worth. And it's because we're selling it out. We're giving it to other people to guide our lives. And so it's such a simple practice, not always easy, But it's simple to come home to yourself, trust yourself, and find your worth. I love that. That is so beautiful. And it ties right in with the seven elements. So we have a checklist, right? And so the spiritual elements daily item is to meditate Mm -hmm. or to be with yourself for seven minutes. And I know that the creators of this were really careful to not just put meditate Mm. because of that, because of kind of the confusion around it. Or like you said, kind of the, it's a little woo-wah. I don't don't really know what that means. Mm -hmm. But just to be with yourself, to be still with yourself for seven minutes every day. So I love all of that you just said. That was so powerful and so beautiful and ties right in into that. There's a lot going on in the world right now. I feel like there's a lot of chaos and a lot of people are having these spiritual awakenings, I guess you could call it, where their religion is dissolving or maybe their upbringing or the way they were raised or the way they've always known things to be is dissolving or changing or shifting. And that can be kind of scary and definitely overwhelming. And so bringing it back to spirituality and focusing inward, like you said, inward and upward. I know that you have coaching services and that you assist so many people in so many different levels within the spiritual element. How do you assist others who are having these spiritual awakenings? I mean, maybe families are separating and they're losing touch of what they're familiar with. But it's a beautiful thing, right? Eventually, as you work through it, how do you assist people through that? And what kind of advice or guidelines would you give anyone who's experiencing some spiritual shifting right now? Beautiful. As I mentioned earlier, I was a trained therapist. And when I hit the field at that time, 18 years ago, I was disillusioned by some aspects of working in the clinical field, there were elements that were missing. I felt misaligned personally and some unethical practices. And I pulled away a little disillusioned, having invested so much time in schooling and thinking this was going to be my career track. Now, fast forward through what a gift it's been to raise sons, to learn about nutrition and fitness and how much that impacts mental and spiritual health, and then to bring in my own personal spiritual awakening and pull this together in a more holistic approach. Now I operate as a life coach and soul mentor is my preferred title. And my objective is not to fix people, diagnose people, give them a label, but to simply guide them through a process of turning inward 
and upward. So some of the steps that I use in coaching people, like you're saying, if they're going through uh, faith transitions or deconstructing the programming and conditioning of their upbringing, whatever that is, is first and foremost, I teach them these simple concepts. All things come from either an origin of fear or love. All thoughts, emotions, behaviors, intentions, they're all rooted to fear or love. The first thing you can do to create an unfolding of awareness is to pause and ask yourself, am I thinking from fear or love right now? So you start to observe your thoughts. Many of us don't observe our thoughts. Our thoughts run away with us. We ruminate on thoughts. We go down rabbit holes. Thoughts produce your emotions. This is basic cognitive psychology 101, that your emotions do not spontaneously combust. They are the byproduct of your thinking. So if you're noticing that you're emotionally triggered, that you're experiencing perpetual depression or anxiety or panic or frustration or annoyance or shame, pause and say, what am I thinking? What am I telling myself right now? And so you're stepping back and becoming the observer of your thinking. And that's when you apply that question. Are these thoughts coming from a place of fear or love? And when you notice how frequently your life is being driven by fear, then you can start to notice why it's derailed, why you cannot find the answers that you're looking for, primarily the peace, the happiness, and the connection. Those are three things that most people are trying to find, purchase, obtain, achieve, and it's all right there inside of us. I love that nature teaches truth. And to me, this is a huge component of spirituality. To me, spirituality is truth. So I sit with nature often and I observe it. I look for the lessons that it's teaching, whether it's through animals or insects or plants or the ocean. And one of my favorite metaphors is the tornado metaphor. Tornadoes are created by compressed levels of atmospheric pressure. So essentially there's three layers of air. The hot air is rising from the ground, that the sun's heated the ground and it's rising upward and pushing upward. The top layer of air is cool air. It's up high in the atmosphere and it's descending and pushing down. And it traps a middle layer of air uh, that's neutral between it. It sandwiches this middle layer of air. And with the top pressing down and the bottom pressing up, the tension builds. And there's a lot of shifting that goes on as they each, they're wrestling with each other. And then when there's a little bit of a gap that opens up in the top, layer of air, that heat will just rush to that gap and spin upward and burst through, they call it the cap, blowing open the cap, and it creates a spiral on its way up. We all know that tornadoes are chaotic and destructive winds, and we often feel that same force in our life, that there's chaos and destruction and devastation, sadness, pain, suffering that we cannot control. But the miracle and the truth that comes out of this metaphor is there is an eye of the storm. Nature teaches truth. We call it a vortex or the eye of the storm. And in that space, a bird can fly around at will, unharmed by the chaos and destruction that's all around. Essentially, it's peaceful and calm. I've pondered this and practiced, how do I get to the eye of the storm in any moment, in any circumstance, what is, where is the eye of the storm in my life? 
and I have found it through spirituality and meditation, they pull you to the eye of the storm. When you get yourself into a place of stillness, some call it grounding or being centered or mindfulness or spirituality, when you get yourself to the eye of your storm, you can calmly observe in a 360 perspective everything that's going on around you and then choose your next move. And in that moment, when I'm discovering that I'm thinking from a fearful place, I recognize I'm caught up in the storm. I am part of the chaos. And if I continue to think, feel, and act from a place of fear, I am fueling the tornado in my life, the drama, the disconnect, the suffering. So in that moment, I will ask myself this question. If I were to operate from love right now, what would I think, feel, and do next? And the miracle that has happened for me by discovering this question is that I don't have to already know or have the answers. I don't even have to have someone in my life who is modeling this because when I pause and seek with an earnest desire to be shown or to discover the truth, it shows up as a thought. It answers. There's a spirit or a source greater than me that will answer that question. If all I've known is how to be in fear, All I have to do is ask the question, show me what love looks like. If I were to operate from love right now, what would I think, feel, and do next? And whether it's a parenting situation, a career situation, or a personal situation, that question has been answered every single time I've asked it. And the answer comes, it's often a very distinct and different way of being than I've ever known. And I lean into it. I act on it. I act with courage and trust believing that it could lead me to act in love. And I have discovered that I can stay in the eye of the storm and be a healing force for good and draw others into that same space out of the chaos and we can dismantle the tornado, the storm in our lives. I'm a little bit speechless right now. That is beautiful. I have this visual in my head of the chaos of the tornado and the eye of the storm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned that you have five sons. And as you were talking and and speaking just now, one thing that just came to my head is how do we help our children right now? So if we are ourselves moving through faith transitions and these experiences, and we have children that are going to school and that are you know, involved in their community or whatever's going on with them, they're experiencing things a whole lot different than I feel like we experienced when we were young. And on a spiritual level, especially, how do we help them to stay in tune to their inner guidance and their inner voice and break free from some of that that boxed in programming and conditioning exactly that we had Mm -hmm. and and not lead them down that same path how do we help them how do we help our children i would love to say that one of the first mistakes we make i've made and i watch other parents make is that we set aside our own growth and spirituality and we become fixated on helping other people whether it's our partner our family or our kids we want to fix them we want them to be happy we want them to be all the things that we're not being i love the quote that says be a light not a critic be a model not a judge Mm -hmm. so notice when you're trying to help someone out of the darkness and you have yet to help yourself So I would say, please first get into a habitual practice for yourself 
of spiritual stillness and connection. And that also includes a connection to your own emotions. So the big piece of it we haven't touched on yet, but I feel the need to address is to become a friend to your emotions. We have to stop judging our emotions like this emotion is good. This one's bad. This is right. This is wrong. That comes from programming and conditioning. And so we live as an emotionally constipated society. Mm -hmm. We are stuffed up and shut down. And until we allow ourselves to just say, I'm noticing what I'm feeling. And I use the word I'm noticing because it's neutral. It's not like, oh, here's that bad emotion. I'm angry. I just, I'm noticing I'm angry right now. Again, the position of observer. Just as I spoke to observing our thoughts, learn to observe your emotions because you cannot give what you don't have. How can you teach a child to be emotionally intelligent when you are not emotionally intelligent? Mm -hmm. It's one of the cruxes of problems in relationships, whether it's with your partner, always wanting them, you need to read this book, you need to go to this class, you need to adopt this in your life. We constantly push information on other people before we've assimilated it. And it's the easiest thing to do to live it and then be a light and a model and have other people be inspired by our way of being to come to us and say, I want to know what you know. I want to practice what you practice. And it's no different with our children. And so I have a story to share from just this past weekend Mm -hmm. when you ask, how do we parent from this way? I have been working on myself shifting from a doer who operated from fear which manifests itself in control and force of others, that's how I parented, to being anchored to love and light and truth for the past six years. One of my favorite moments is when my middle son, he said to me, you are not the same mom you were four years ago. That was a triumphant moment for me Mm. because the controlling, demanding, high expectations, thinking I had to force everyone to do what was right so that they could be happy and safe and productive and turn out to be good people and eventually make it back to heaven. All of that has dissipated. And my number one goal is to love them, just love them in every moment. I believe everyone, my children included, deserve more love, not less, no matter what the circumstance is in this moment. I need to give them, not I need, I choose to give them more love, not less. So this past weekend, my oldest son, who's 18, played in a rugby tournament. Rugby's his life and has been his dream to become a professional rugby player since he was very small. Now we're at the important stage in his life, which is being seen and scouted and doing the best he can. During his game, the final game of the tournament, he got hit in the chest with a shoulder and he was laid out on the field. Mm. And in that moment, I noticed my ego mind mom wanted to be afraid. He's had two broken collarbones in the past and other Mm. injuries. And so the past version of me was always very fearful. Oh no, what did he break? And you get all nervous. In this moment, I was able to just notice that's an option I could attach to. What's another one? If I were to operate from love right now, what would I think, feel, or do next? I took a deep breath in to summons or to call in love. And on the exhale, I breathed out the fear and said, everything is okay and as it should be. It's perfect and I trust the processes of life. That stillness came to me. I was in the eye of the storm. The next question is, what would you have me do? Do I stay on the sidelines or do I walk around the field? I felt that I ought to walk around the field and and see what they were finding out. Pretty soon on my way around the field, I saw him stand up and walk himself to the side. 
When he looked up and saw that I was at the corner of the field, he began to walk towards me, giving me the signal, I'm okay, nothing's broken. As he approached me, I put my arms around him, and I told him how proud I was of his leadership, and I started to cry. He looked at me, and tears started to come out of his eyes. Now, he's a six-foot-tall, size 14-and-a-half cleat <laughs> boy. I'm very aware that it's not cool to cry. Our sons, our men, our boys are taught to not show emotion. And in that moment, I said to him, let it out, let it flow, you're safe. And he took a knee, I kneeled down beside him, I put my hand on his back, and I could feel all of the intensity of the nervousness, the anger of um, having been hurt or hit by his opponent. All these things were coming through him, and I just sat and coaxed him. It's okay, let this energy move. Emotion is energy in motion. Picture it in your mind like it's a capital E, then a hyphen, then the words motion, energy in motion. If we let it move rather than stuff it, incredible insight and awareness shows up for us. So he began to sob. He went with it. He trusted me because he's been in these processes before. He has seen me operate this way, honoring my emotions. And it was incredible to let him just cry. And then I asked him, what is this energy that's coming from you? He said, I'm so frustrated that I've left my team, that I have to sit on the sideline. And we were able to just process that. And as it cleansed and cleared out and he was able to let it go, it became peace. I saw him go from hurt to sad to peace because Mm -hmm. I could just be present. I don't need to fix it. I don't need to stop it. I don't need to march out there to that ref and say, hey, that should be a penalty on that opponent. None of that matters. Just being present with myself and my child, being present with my own emotions allows me to be present with his and not do the thing that we're programmed and conditioned to to do. Oh, don't cry. It'll be okay. Those are the things that we often say because others have said them to us and we shut people down in their emotions. Watching him connect in that moment and purge that, I could see then he stood up in his fullness. His team had a break. They ran over and hugged him and encouraged him and he was able to return. They won all of their games and the most beautiful moment was afterwards when they were running by the spectators and giving high fives. He was the last one in the lineup and when he got to me, He paused, he dropped in, and gave me a huge hug. And I I realized that I am modeling a way of living that is turning the volume down on my own ego and being in my heart space, and seeing this young man be able and willing to also turn the volume down on his ego and to be in his heart space, to be able to give and receive love as it shows up without worrying about how does this look to others. So I hope there are some elements in that story that address the question of how do we parent our children, it comes back to that one quote, you cannot give what you don't have. So be it first, and then it comes naturally how to model it for your children. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best parenting advice that I <laughs> that I have heard, to be present with your child in the moment, let them be, and you let go of a lot of that fear. Beautiful. And you mentioned earlier that what we want, really what we're desiring is peace and happiness and connection. And to be a parent to your child and establishing that, what more is there, right? I, it's just beautiful. And can I say quickly with five boys, we had years of contention. 
with them growing up. And I kept thinking, what am I doing wrong? Like they're so physical. They'd hit each other. They'd raise their voices. They'd threaten each other. They're off in dog piles where I'm peeling brothers off and saying, get off the little one. You know, there was often so much contention. And I discovered I was the source of the contention because I was so afraid I was so upset inside. I carried a lot of frustration and projected resentment towards my spouse and others that when I started to cultivate peace in myself, it began to spread to my children. They saw me take breaths before I spoke. They saw me get myself into a neutral, grounded, centered space before I interrupted, intervened, or gave guidance to them. Now it's amazing. I watch many of them at different times utilize these same skills, not because I told them they have to, or I put it on their to-do list. It's just because they've observed it. Oftentimes my 16-year-old who used to struggle with rage, now instead when he's boiling or getting built up, he on his own will turn his palms upward on his legs, close his eyes, and just take a deep breath in and center himself before he speaks. He's self-governing. These are the moments that have been so incredible, um, watching them help their friends through difficult emotions that their friends are going through. And then they come home and tell me, mom, I taught them how to breathe. I told them we should meditate, you know, all these different things. And for me to see men, my men, my sons being able to utilize these keys of meditation, spirituality, stillness, being connected to their emotions is one of the most beautiful gifts that I feel like God and the universe has given me is to be a model and someone who is contributing to the healing of the world. Some of these masculine and feminine wounds that have been carried on and perpetuated and passed on intergenerationally, I'm watching that being healed in my own home. And then that is exactly what I'm doing as a life coach as well. Beautiful. I know that you've just been part of a collaboration on a, on a book, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But I wanted to see is there anything else that you feel really inspired that you want to share with us just about spirituality? Yes, I think spirituality as a practice is the only way that I know of to come home to yourself to be able to say, I love me. I am enough. I am worth it. I am lovable. And I love me. I notice that most people are seeking that validation outside of themselves, trying to find it or purchase it. And I know of no other means that effectively and consistently can draw it into our lives other than this topic we call spirituality. And I don't mind if anyone gives it a different term. I call it coming home to myself. I call it aligning with truth. And in that space is the only place I've ever found the power and the ability to say, I love me because I'm spending time with me. I'm monitoring me. I'm befriending my emotions, my body. I'm observing my thoughts and interacting with them. And the more that I sit with my own mind, body, heart, and spirit, the more I glory in the miracle of my being. So if we could know that that is what we're driving for, that's the value of this practice, I believe it would draw more people in. 
and have there be less fear uh, based on past programming or experiences. Some people maybe reject spirituality or, or they think they're running away from it because they've seen it as something else. They've seen it as some other box when really it's a relationship to yourself and to all created things. It is the home of peace. It is a space of love. And it is where real freedom lies, in my opinion. I love that. That's so helpful for us. And I think why we have spirituality is the first element. It's the first one. Because when you're grounded there, then a lot of the other things can fall into place, right? Everything lines up. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about your book. So though your book was just released, you were part of a group of authors. The title is Collaboration with the Divine by Kiera Polson. It's available on Amazon. She is the CEO of Freedom House Publishing, and she had a vision and inspired to draw together 18 female authors and ask each one of us to write one chapter for this book. It was released on 2 mm. which was intentional, a powerful day in numerology. The focus of the book is each one of the authors is sharing an experience from our lives where we co-created miracles with God, where we joined hands and collaborated with divine source. So it's how to create miracles. It's also focused on females because female spirituality has been quieted. There are not a lot of writings. You don't find female voices in scripture, at least in the most popular canon. And so she was seeking to bring women's voices forward for women to recognize we are spiritual beings, just like men are, and we have we have access to divine power. So it's a beautiful book. It's available on Amazon. And it was exciting in the first few days. It hit number one new release in four categories and then became mm-hmm. bestseller four days after it launched. So wow. I am very pleased to be a part of that book. That is so exciting. Wonderful. One episode with you, I feel like is not enough. I could sit here for another three hours. <laughs> there's so much more. I'm just I'm, giving you a nutshell pieces. I'm thinking there's so much more, but thank uh, right? you so much. I could just go off on all these different tangents because everything you've shared with us is so beautiful and so powerful and so empowering for us as individuals. Can I say one thing yes. about that? Yes. This element has fundamentally altered my personality. Mm. Now, having studied psychology and I took a battery of psychological tests as a student of social work, the common theory in psychology is that your personality is permanent and it doesn't change. Mm. You have experiences and circumstances that you accumulate throughout life that give you uh, wisdom and perspective. But the theory often has been held that your personality is permanent. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to share that through the spiritual awakening, my personality has changed And I like who I am in the letting go, the surrendering, the learning to operate from a place of love. I actually love me where before I was trying to do all the right things. But when I went to bed at night, I felt shameful before God, sometimes to the point where I didn't even feel worthy of praying because I was like, God, you saw me yell at my kids today. Mm -hmm. You saw me call my husband a bad name. You know who I am being and it's not who I want to be. I felt that way for a long time, that I was an angry, frustrated, resentful person, all trying so hard to do the right thing. And my personality has shifted, and I like who I am. And I I believe that there is nothing more powerful than the spiritual element. And once you align with truth and light and love, 
then every other element also comes into alignment, just like the strings on an instrument. They all tune to that same frequency, light, truth, and love. Oh, so, so beautiful. So much beautiful knowledge and light that you're sharing with us. How can we connect with you? Because this, like I was saying, this is too too much for just one podcast episode. I would love to keep learning from you. I know there's so many others out there that would love for you to expand and learn more. So how do we connect with you and continue to learn from you? I would love for any of your listeners to find me on Facebook and Instagram. I have a free mentoring closed group on Facebook where I teach and share concepts and often hold Zoom classes where they can access information on spirituality and spiritual growth for free. I also run retreats for women, men, and couples. I have groups locally and via Zoom. So please check that out in the notes for the show. Yes, we will put all of this in the notes for the show, all of the links and on all the places where you can find Angel Lynn. This has been wonderful. I almost don't want to end it. Is there any other thoughts that you have as we're wrapping up? I think just the four things that every session I have with a client, as well as my own personal spiritual cleansing work daily, comes back to casting off the limiting core beliefs that say, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, and I'm not worthy. Those are the four most common limiting core beliefs, often unconscious, that are holding us all back from being and doing what we dream of being and doing. And so as we close, I would invite every listener to repeat this in their own minds. And in between each sentence, take a deep breath in and then exhale out. Because the depth to which you breathe is the depth to which you can receive. So I'm inviting you to join with me and repeat and receive these phrases. Ready? Take a deep breath in and think to yourself, I am enough for me. I am lovable. I love me. I am worth it. As you exhale, escort all the resistance, fear, guilt, shame, and judgment you hold towards yourself. Escort it out of your body on the breath and feel the shift. Beautiful. And that's something we can incorporate every day with the spiritual element, part of our meditation, doing that every day. How powerful would that be? Thank you so much for being with us. This has been a wonderful journey with you today. I'm so grateful to you. I know all of us are grateful to you for spending time with us today. Thank you so much. To connect with us, join our private Facebook group. This is a group where you will find ideas, be able to ask questions, and find the support of a like-minded community. We also have monthly local element events where we feature a different element each month and we bring in specialized speakers. And these events will be live streamed exclusively into this group. And if you're local, we also plan a lot of fun activities in the group, such as hikes, pickleball, vision board nights. You can also join our Instagram page at 7 Elements of Wellness. Find out about upcoming events, to look for inspiration, motivational quotes, and a lot of shares. Make sure to check out our website at 7elementsofwellness.com. Here you can join our newsletter, which will give you updates on upcoming podcasts, articles on health and wellness, and the latest local events. 
You can also check out our website for the seven day challenge. So every month we begin a new challenge from the first of the month to the seventh of the month because most people can do anything for seven days, right? The best thing is that we have a community to support you because we know that having accountability buddies is where it's at. Right, so after the seven days, we're gonna choose a winner for one of our amazing sponsors. And then from there, you're gonna see how many days in a row you can flow. If you'd like to create your own seven elements of wellness community where you live, reach out to us. We'd love to help you get it started. The Seven Elements of Wellness podcast is created and produced entirely by volunteers who are passionate about sharing this message and assisting you on your journey to feel good more than you don't. If you would like to contribute to helping us continue to bring amazing content through this podcast and community events, we would love your support. You can find us on Venmo under our business account at Life Integrated. Any donation is so greatly appreciated and we thank you so much.